0: Welcome to the Hay Kings podcast brought to you by Vermeer, your expert in hay and forge equipment. I'm joined again by Don Schilling, owner of Wesco International. Wesco's been processing and exporting hay since 1971. Wesco exports hay... To Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. Last time we talked about shipping disruptions. There's negotiations going on between the ILWU and the PMA on the West Coast. Uh, The contracts have expired. We're going to get an update on that. We're going to hear Don's take on it. Don, the last time we talked, we were talking about ports and infrastructure and union negotiations. Let's start there and then uh, we have something else to talk about besides that. That's that's the big driver in the export industry, right? Right, now.
1: right. So, so we we can trace down memory lane and say, boy, um, it sure didn't turn out the way we thought it would. I mean, there's been, I'm going to say, steady improvement in the shipping situation, but it's not based on it's it's based on factors that are in the long run going to impact us negatively but the labor situation that has been quiet now you're talking
0: about the negotiations between the ilwu and the the pacific maritime association the pma
1: that's correct yep Mm -hmm. so they're i mean they're on again off again but the practically speaking the terminals here in the pacific northwest are operating as they have been effectively for the past two years minus the fact that import volumes are down significantly and exports are da- down, hay exports are down dramatically. And and so the terminals themselves are not as congested. So it's not like the, the unions working any harder or the terminals are operating any more efficiently. There's just less going on. And so tr- trucks can get, most days they can get in and out without an issue. There's no unusual situation with empty containers. We can generally get them whenever we need them. Vessel schedule integrity is still a bit of an issue, but the delays are now less than they were in the past. Um, at the moment, and that doesn't mean that it, it, could, it could all just go down the toilet tomorrow, but at the moment it's not a barrier. It's not a barrier to exporting hay. Um, now,
0: just to clarify here, as we talk about the movement of containers in a historical context, and, and even modern, we depend upon imports of goods, of containerized goods. And then, by and large, we we have an excess of empty containers going back to Asia.
1: Yeah, it's the imbalance is impressive.
0: And then our hay exporting industry takes advantage of those empty containers, and usually lower westbound rates
1: dramatically lower yeah so we're the backhaul right in terms we all understand we've always been the backhaul when import rates when a container from china to the united states costs twenty thousand dollars that same container filled with hay on a backhaul was a thousand dollars
0: that's still relatively expensive right
1: no no not at all oh okay no there's no not at all so it's a bit of hyperbole on the export side when you when we heard in headlines that the steamship lines are making historic profits and container rates are soaring and these index numbers these freight the baltic freight index numbers have gone up so much that's not looking specifically at our commodity which is hay, right? So we really don't care what aluminum ingots, uh, what the ocean freight for aluminum ingots is, or for frozen beef, or for chilled cherries. or We don't care about that, right? The lowest, in 2008, you know, it's the end of the world, the economy's collapsing. Ocean freight from the United States to Japan, Korea, there wasn't a lot going into China. So that, that wasn't even part of the landscape in those days. It was $300, right? It's the end of the world. They're giving everything away. It's $100 out of California. <laughs> it's $300 uh, out of Washington. And today, the equivalent is $1,200. Two years ago, it was $900, right? So we, we didn't see, it. ocean freight wasn't our, our issue, right? Access to empty containers was our issue. The worst thing that can happen is you can't ship, period, right, it's not, that, it's not that it's too expensive because too expensive means that you can still figure out a way to make your price work. If the steamship line is not accepting your bookings, if they're not releasing empty containers to you, then you're just you're shut down. And right. so
0: and we did see some of that here recently where they were shipping empty containers back to Asia completely bypassing US agricultural access.
1: Absolutely. Exports. 80% of the containers that were moving were empty containers. I mean, it was the carriers wanted to get those containers back to the far east as fast as they could because think about it, you're a trucker, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, uh, my head haul is $20,000. What do I want to do as soon as my truck's unloaded?
0: Go back for that I, same I, haul again.
1: It, exactly. So when you're told, yeah, you got to sit around a couple of days and we'll get you your $1,200 load. You're saying, yeah, I'll pay my own fuel. I'm going, um, I'm just going, right. you know, I, I'm going back for that, uh, for that head haul. And that's exactly what steamship lines were doing. And now they're backpedaling. I mean, rates are down below 10, import rates. You know, they're down below $10,000. Historically, they were or recent history, they they averaged around three thousand, four thousand dollars. At the height of COVID, when we were sitting home buying as much as we could, the the carriers were on hiring. They were leasing as many vessels, additional uh, vessels, as they possibly could, to accommodate this tidal wave of import volume and now they're trying to dump those those leased vessels just as fast as they can mm-hmm. Bec- because the volume's just not there
0: don what i just heard you say is there's lower container volumes the shipping lines are responding to lower container volumes that seems to be indicative of an economic slowdown that that tells don't me say that,
1: that word th- don't say that. Don't, don't say it don't say it Oh, you, right. economists, we, you economists, you economists, show us every time we, by telling us, predicting the future. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, okay. I thought you were going to tell me we haven't made it to the election yet, so we can't use the word recession. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> well, you you know, you hear it more and more, and now you hear it, interestingly, with the caveat, you know, mild recession is being predicted.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: technically, but
0: look at, technically speaking, TV.
1: we're in a recession. We are, absolutely, yeah. The question is how how deep, how long... Right. Yeah.
0: The, this is the beginnings, right?
1: Yeah, I think after November we'll see the truth.
0: Now, <laughs> you've been in this industry for some time, and there's two parts to this question. The first one is, what happens to the domestic hay industry when there's a recession?
1: I think that we continue to drink milk and eat hamburger maybe not steak mm-hmm. um, I think the price of hay goes down I, I don't see how that's avoidable
0: and the mechanisms uh, by which that happens consumers have less disposable income to your point they make the switch from steak to hamburger and heaven forbid clear to chicken yeah and in that it reduces the prices of of the goods that we produce using hay and that flows downstream to say where the, where the cattle producer says, I can't afford to pay that for hay, the exactly. answer is no. Yep. The second part to this, uh, you've been in the industry a, a really long time. Looking at the other big driver today in the hay and export industry is exchange rates.
1: Yeah.
0: Now the question I have for you, I want to set the stage. You know, forty years ago when this industry started, the exchange rate was like
1: fifty one years ago when okay. this industry started. Fifty one years
0: ago. F- fifty one years ago when this industry started. The exchange rate was somewhere around oh uh now fifty one years ago puts us at what year, Don? Nineteen
1: seventy
0: one. Okay. In 1971, funny enough, that's how far back the Federal Reserve economic data goes on the yen exchange rate. It was 358 yen to the dollar. Yes. Now, that's, that's where the industry started. But most recently, if we look at a, a five-year average, the, the most recent five years, we're only looking at 109 yen to the dollar for the five-year average. And a year ago, it was 111 and today we're at 145. Now, in a historical context, that doesn't sound so bad, but it's pretty catastrophic right
1: now, right? Uh, do I have to say that? Do I have to agree with you? You, you don't. Uh, uh, but the, the, the problem is I do agree with you, I just don't want to say it. <laughs> so, uh, the, when we look at... Um... Now,
0: uh, sorry, in yeah. percentage terms, that's a 30% increase and what yeah. our largest hay buyer, for grass hay, right? Uh, a large, yes. Our largest grass hay buyer is paying for hay. Yeah. A 30% yeah. increase year over year. But mm. n- essentially nothing has changed on the U.S. side.
1: No, no. Prices um, are
0: very similar from farmer uh, the Washington hay farmers price that they got for their hay year over year. It's similar.
1: I, no, I would beg to differ. Okay. Let's start with alfalfa prices because alfalfa prices... Uh, first cutting alfalfa in a normal year is is up before first cutting timothy Mm -hmm. and it gives us an indication right so historically you know to use just to be down and dirty you'd say that that um timothy's 100 bucks a ton is worth 100 bucks a ton more than alfalfa right yeah so we were very anxious Right, to see what alfalfa prices were going to look like this year. So, if, if again, just let's just use round numbers because we, we, we want to understand the concept and not the exact we're dollars, price yes, $3 a ton or whatever. So, if we go back to first cutting of 2021, um, you'd say, okay, $200 a ton, right? Yes. average. This year we were at $300 a ton. 320, 340, 350, 370, right? As uh, as we move through our cuttings. And so you you looked at if Alfalfa's up a hundred bucks a ton, how in creation is Timothy not going to go up an equal amount? Mm-hmm. You could go through and in theory, Timothy's a niche, right? It's probably yeah, it's probably going to be more sensitive to high prices because, you know, in the olden days, it, right, if you go back to 1971 and the yen was uh dollars to the dollar, what animal was being fed by imported U.S. Timothy?
0: Oh, racehorses.
1: Oh, racehorses, right? Yeah. Now, 90% of the Timothy that goes to Japan is going to feed dairy cows.
0: Structural you know? fiber is part of the diet,
1: right? exactly so take your microphone out on the main street and uh talk to uh nine out of ten u.s dairymen and you know and, and ask them um how much timothy they feed
0: well they're all gonna so, laugh at you 10 out of 10 exactly exactly, we'll laugh at you. exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> this idea that okay if is up 100 bucks timothy's gonna be up 100 bucks uh i think that it, it's a false narrative there that because this is up, therefore that should be up, but the truth was, if you're going to buy any hay you're you're not going to go out and buy Timothy for the alfalfa price you're- you're simply not going to get it bought mm-hmm. right. You've got two components here we're looking at the uh at the exchange rate, which is it is a real big problem at the moment, but we started out with historically high hay price mm-hmm even with the exchange rate we had last year, you know, if we had 110 yen to the dollar, we were still going to have an uphill struggle here with our hay prices. So if you look at, okay, we're, exporters are out buying, they're out buying Timothy in, in May, in June, uh, in July. All, all our customers were telling us, these are, you know, these are expensive prices. Nobody can pay these prices. Nobody can pay these prices. Mm-hmm. And as exporters, we're saying, okay, okay, okay. We, we get that that it's your job to tell us you can't pay these prices. That's your job, right? Right. It's your job to ignore us when we say fertilizer prices are up fifty percent. Fertilizer prices are up a hundred percent. Right?
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. The
1: the the prices that you're suggesting to us. Will not get the hay bought. We can't even say those numbers to a grower because he'll politely—no, he won't—ask us <laughs> to leave. His, politely ask us to leave the property. Right? right. Um, we're going to get an earful. No hay is going to get bought. You know, you look at a fifty-one year track record. The Japanese ha- have been the most reliable customers for exported alfalfa or grass hay. Every year for the past 51 years, uh, with the exception of two or three years when we had a phytosanitary problem that the government had to solve, um, they've been there, right? Do we fight over price? Absolutely. Do we argue over quality? We most certainly do. But we've been through a whole bunch of rough spots, right, with strikes, with slowdowns, with wars, uh, with uh, nuclear reactors melting down. And we've weathered all that, right? Exchange rates have been up and down, as you noted. You know, why is 145 yen a problem when we sold Timothy at 360, and at 260, and at 200, and at 160? What's the problem, right? Well, the problem is alternatives. Now we can co- we can comfort ourselves or lull ourselves in, into a sense of complacency and say, they're feeding animals, they're not producing enough animal feed, it's impossible for them to uh, produce enough animal feed, what are they going to do? What are they gonna feed? Sooner or later, they're gonna have to come back to the table. So are they gonna play us for two weeks? Are they gonna play us for a month? Are they gonna play us for four months or for five months? In the beginning, they simply said it's too expensive. It's, it's not going to work. And we'll go elsewhere. And as U.S. exporters, we said, okay, okay, you know, that's, that's your job. It's perfectly reasonable. Uh, the Timothy prices are too high. Um, they're going down to California and they're buying cheap sedan grass. They're going to wait for the Canadian Timothy to be harvested. They're going to ship hard, you know, Canadian Timothy un- until it runs out. They're going to buy more oat hay out of Australia. But this year, the situation was such that, first off, they we still had old crop carryover, and they still had old crop carryover in Japan. So it's, well, you know, the warehouses are full. We've got six weeks worth of hay sitting here in the warehouse. We've got another three weeks worth of hay sitting in the container yards in, in Yokohama and, and Kobe. Then those U.S. exporters we can still order old crop timothy at the old crop price and they were effectively able to they all came over they all looked at the hay right and we had a great harvest this year the quality was great and they said we love it we would take it all but the price is too high so again as a, as a u.s exporter we've kind of been here before um, we need to be patient they're going to buy the lower grade. They're going to buy the rained on hay first. Well, there's very little rained on hay. They're going to buy the number two first. You know, they're going to buy the low premium, the grassy hay. There wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of damaged hay, and there, wa- there wasn't a whole lot of low quality hay. So we, uh, we you're, talking,
0: you're talking on the Timothy side. The first cutting alfalfa the tim- was destroyed. It was a
1: disaster. It oh, was yeah. a disaster. Complete like, disaster. Complete disaster. Yeah. So bad it screwed up second cutting. Right. Yes. Um, but Japan just Japan was uninterested. Uninter- I mean, most of the alfalfa um, that has shipped has gone to China, mm-hmm. um, and where the exchange um,
0: rate is more stable. Just, it is it despite is. the high. And, I mean, and, they, they kind of peg it to the dollar, but not necessarily. They the, the Chinese government has controls over the the exchange rates, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. We started to hear customers saying. Well, after I after I finish inspecting in Washington and California, I'm headed to Spain. Like, excuse me,
0: where they had a drought this year? Uh,
1: they still went to Spain, and they were still able to find D-high alfalfa. Of course, they were going to it- they were going to Italy, they were going to Romania, they were going to Ethiopia, they were going to Sudan, they were going to South Africa, um, and again, you know, we sit back and say, look. Those markets are, uh, have always existed. There's always been hay in those places. Mm-hmm. So if Japan runs for the first time, they run to Spain and they buy up that alfalfa, that means the guys in the Middle East that usually buy most of that hay are not going to be able to get it. Or the Chinese who bought a little of that last year when our prices got high, they're not going to be able to get it. More people will have to rush to South Africa to snap up whatever's down there. and They're not going to find it because somebody beat them to it eventually they gotta come back to us. They have to come back to the United States because there has never been a surplus of exportable, export grade forage in the world. And that's what's allowed our industry to develop over the past 51 years. What I think has surprised us and has continued to surprise us is I don't think we ever really understood how much uh, hay was in the pipeline and how long Japan could go before they really needed to replace it. I don't think we realized Japan's willingness to accept lower quality at a lower price. So they went into these markets that before they had turned their nose up at because the quality wasn't good enough. And they said at these prices, we can accept this quality. I think all along people were hoping, well, Surely the government is going to step in and allow the price of milk to rise. surely, if the government doesn't do that, they'll subsidize animal feed to spare the the smaller dairies, you know from the burden of the milk price being lower than the cost of feed, and that has it there there has been an adjustment to the milk price, but it was scheduled. It was nothing significant. Um, I don't think we understood the level of acceptance or tolerance on the part of the uh the government in japan or the ministry of agriculture in japan to allow the rationalization of the dairy industry to occur that is in the process of occurring let's take a break there and we'll get a word from our sponsor I wouldn't care what baler anybody was running, I would tell you that this is the best mesh there is. The best mesh. When I switched to Vermeer Net, the first thing I noticed was how strong the mesh was when I was putting it into my bike. It's tough, it doesn't rip, it holds together. The biggest impact Vermeer Mesh has had on my operation has been more time. That time savings is just, you get more money in your pocket or more time with your family. I'm Mike Levisy, and that's why I switched to Vermeer Net.
0: You're about to tell us that rationalization means consolidation.
1: Exactly. The, these small, inefficient dairies that have always been small and that they've always been inefficient, um, they need to go away, right? Uh, a dairy that's milking 30 head um, or 50 head, which used to be the average dairy in Japan, you know, 30 years ago, they need to sell out to the larger dairy down the road that's milking 500 head or maybe a thousand head as a u.s exporter you say are they going to kill any cows because until they start killing cows the demand is not going to change i think at the margin i think at the margin it will change because the the smaller dairies i mean in japan they're milking cows that are eight years old you know they're they're milking cows that are over 10 years old in these small dairies
0: because the the price of a dairy cow in Japan is significantly higher than anything we would ever see here, and exactly. the, the other alternative is hamburger prices
1: which are are very low right right <laughs> the total number of of cows being milked it, it might go down marginally right as, as you replace less efficient converters of feed with younger, more efficient converters, you'll produce the same amount of milk with a slightly lower herd count, right? Mm -hmm. Last year, politicians in Japan were going on TV and on camera drinking glasses of milk and asking consumers to please support the dairy industry by uh, consuming this surplus milk. So uh, Hmm. one of the things that COVID did, you know, when, when schools were shut down, we saw the same thing here.
0: No institutional demand for milk.
1: Exactly. And then tourism... Travel, you know, gone. So if you're if you're in the ministry of agriculture, you're saying, okay, explain this to me one more time. We need to subsidize milk production at a time when we have surplus volumes of milk, right? That that doesn't make any sense. This might have been perceived as this is an ideal time for us, without shouldering the responsibility for it, to allow this natural market force to uh, rationalize our 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 dairy industry. I think we underestimated the extent to which uh, Japan would just search out the cheapest uh, forage in the world, hold their nose and buy it.
0: Now, this is exceptional because traditionally the Japanese haven't been as price sensitive as, as, say, the the Chinese or the South Koreans. That's just the way the market works, right?
1: Exactly. So what we're seeing here um, is a paradigm shift we're We're really not going to understand exactly all the ramifications of it, but i've I've been doing this for more than three decades, and I've never seen I've never seen this, never, 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 never seen it. Um, and you talk to any exporter and it's, yeah, this doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't smell right. I've never seen this before. How do you predict what's going to happen in November and December and January? That's where you have to go back to, you know, first principles and say, okay, what do I know for sure? <laughs> there is not, there is this, not a worldwide glut of forage. There, it, there never has been. Um, we haven't suddenly increased the supply in any way. Um, alternatives to long fiber forage—nothing in the world is cheap. The the Japanese are hoping against hope. That new crop, Australian oh which will you know the harvest will begin towards the end of this month, beginning of next month. That that's going to be cheap. Well, uh, unless those farmers in Australia who
0: paid less for fertilizer,
1: fertilizer on another planet.
0: <laughs> right. You know
1: that th- they paid exactly as much as we did, and they want to recover it or more. the same as yeah. our growers do. Part of our problem is what's what's the inflation rate in in Japan right now. What's the interest rate in Japan right now? You uh, know,
0: zero and zero, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think inflation is nominally like two percent. Yeah, um, effectively zero. Yeah. Yes, and interest rates are actually negative, right? Correct. Um, so if Japan's not defending the yen. Um, and the Fed tells us this isn't the last time we're, we're going to increase. There, there is a tie. Be, uh, there is something
0: driving this, right? The Federal Reserve increasing interest rates uh, drives foreign investors to the U.S. Because the U.S. is stable, and if we look at anywhere in the world right now, uh, stagnating Japanese economy, Germany's in deep trouble with their natural gas supplies, mm-hmm. The the pound is coming apart at the seams, Yep. like there's no good place in the world to invest money ex-
1: except, except the US. United States. Exactly, and we've always so, been a
0: safe harbor. This is this is nothing new and earth shattering. No, but, no. But that's what the mechanism that happens there is: foreign investors have to buy dollars before they can invest in the dollar.
1: Exactly, and
0: that's driving up the value of the dollar. So exactly. the higher the interest rate goes, the more foreign uh, foreign investment there is and the more demand for dollars.
1: Exactly. So if you look at new crop when we were all buying hay and yes. today the yen has lost more than 11% of its value, right? So you take a $500 a ton and there's very little Timothy that's available right now at $500 a metric ton delivered Japan, right? It's more like 600 or six hundred and fifty dollars a metric ton delivered to Japan, and say between you know May and and today, the price uh, in yen has effectively jumped fifty dollars a ton for hay. The back in May they said was too expensive. It's only it's only gotten more expensive. And then if you want to put on your your predictive future hat and yeah, say it get any what's better. the no, no, it it you, you know when they talk about well 150 to the dollar might be the new point at which the yen'll be the yen'll be defended. The idea that something's going to change. Now if if you've been out to buy a new Toyota, a new Honda, a new Nissan, oh it's a great deal. Um you you'll notice that those prices haven't gone down by 30%, right?
0: Right, but they're still not like at some point we should start realizing the benefits of having a strong dollar is being able to buy cheap foreign relatively cheap foreign goods
1: i think in in, in yes in theory absolutely i think in practice why is japan not defending the the yen oh to stimulate
0: uh, their economy
1: if i'm honda if i'm toyota if i'm nissan i i this is music to my ears right yeah this the is the best news ever Exactly, the stuff that we're manufacturing in the United States. Who cares what the exchange rate is, right? We're we're, we're paying U.S. workers in dollars. Uh, the products, the components we're buying in the United States, we're buying for dollars. It doesn't affect us at all. But if we're if we're making the, a transmission in 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 Japan and mm-hmm. sending it to Ohio to get stuck into a Honda or whatever. Yes. Um, it's suddenly worth 30% more to us than it, than, it, than it was a year ago, right? So the idea that that this weak currency is a sign of a weak economy, it's just, that's not true. Uh, Japan Inc., you know, the export dynamo yes. um, is loving this. When it comes time to buy, to import oil and pay for it in US dollars, okay, that's pinching us. The food and the feed that we're importing from overseas, it's dramatically more expensive. But what would you rather have? Cheap food and unemployment, you know, full employment, profitable corporations. And expensive food. we're going to see a little bit of inflation on the consumer side, which the Japanese government is very, very, very sensitive to. So the, the cost of feed goes up. How come the price of milk doesn't go up? Because we don't want the, you know, moms that are shopping to be upset about these increased prices, and then put political pressure, or we get social unrest. So, if you had to predict the future, it's we're going to have a strong dollar here for a while, right?
0: Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean the Fed, the Federal Reserve. Uh, well, there was a Fed board member that came out the other day saying, "Don't plan on rate cuts in twenty twenty three. Just don't exactly. plan on it." Right. That that's pretty aggressive.
1: <laughs> right, and so you're you're sitting in Tokyo and you just bought whatever you bought 5000 ton 10000 ton whatever it was of alfalfa from Spain and you're going to pay for it in euros and for the first time i think in in ever the dollar and the euro were at parity or you bought your ryegrass hay from italy it's like dude these guys this is this is even cheaper than one i bought you know when i first bought it But the ultimate question is, what happens when there is no more alfalfa in Spain uh, or in Italy or in South Africa and, you know, the Australians are getting a lot of rain right now. Um, Who knows what's going to happen down there? What happens when we've shipped all the Canadian Timothy and that Sudan grass out of California? It was never cheap. You know, it was never cheap. Um, Everything from the United States was expensive. What happens then? That's when they have no alternative but to come back to the United States and say, okay, okay, what do you have left? How much is it now? Can we negotiate on the price? And part of the challenge is there are growers out there that sold their hay on consignment, right? Because you've got ex- exporters that say things like...
0: Ship it to me and I'll pay you when it ships.
1: I'll share the up with you, right? Right. Um, and there, there are some painful phone calls in the future because there's no up anywhere. Right. What happens to those exporters that are in such a cash flow crunch that they say... I, I just want to get my money out of this, right? I, I'm yep. not going to make anything on it. I'm only going to lose $10 a ton at this price. Let me make it work.
0: Trade dollars, create cash flow, survive to the next day.
1: Exactly. But Japan's not looking for $5 or $10, right? They're no, looking for $100, yeah. $150. It's beyond our ability to absorb. Right. Uh, well, well, well beyond our ability. So we've got some... We, we have some very, very challenging months ahead of us. And the only – we can't take uh, – hold out any hope that the dollar is going to weaken, right? That's, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Um, we have carriers, steamship lines that come into the office, and they, you know, they ask about ocean freight. and uh, It's like, look, if ocean freight were free right now, <laughs> if the steamship line said as a public service – right <laughs> we're going to haul your gonna, hay back to japan for right, free exactly if they said that it really wouldn't make a difference because ocean freight is 40 bucks a ton uh, that's hyperbole it would make a difference it wouldn't make the difference right we have to wait until
0: the rest of the world is out of hay
1: exactly and then we have we have to hope you know big exporters don't fold don't collapse and say okay 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 whatever
0: we just need to um, create but, cash flow Let's move it, yeah. Don, thank you very much for your time today. This has been most instructive, slightly terrifying, but it's it's good to understand.
1: What's the downside to being prepared for a worst-case scenario that doesn't happen, right? Yep. I I don't see that there is one. Uh, You might lose a little bit of sleep. But if you go blithely into a market where there were indications that you should have been a lot more careful, the downside to ignoring those signals, it could be really, really um, expensive.
0: Well, the other thing to do here is... Most everybody has a banker one way or the other, and this is now, and yesterday, is a good time to have a conversation with a banker about what's going on in the hay market, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, again, thank you very much for your time, Don. I, I appreciate having you back on.
1: Thanks, it's been a pleasure.